welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, Julia, welcome to Conversations About Life. And I'm really happy to have this opportunity to talk with you. And how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Will. You're welcome. So I'll start by trying to introduce you. And if you need to add anything, go right ahead. But you are a marriage conversation coach, the best I can gather from your website. And you've developed a a system of communication for married couples. And I think the name of your organization is Beautiful Outcome. And well, and actually, I know you from back in the photography days. Um, you were, yes. You and your husband, Jeff, were, um, you know, well-known in the photography, uh, you know, world of portrait and wedding photography. And uh, I remember you as a speaker and appreciated, um, you know, the help that you gave to the industry at that time. Thank you. So, um, so you started, um, I guess, be, becoming a marriage coach um, after that. And what um, did that just fit with your desires and personality really well, or you know, what brought you? You know, what caused that transition from photography to? Um, helping people with their marriage communication? Yes. Well, that's a very long story that I'll work to keep very short. But, um, you know, I began to get into this transformational world when in 2000 and, uh, 2011, I had everything I was supposed to have in order to be happy. I had, you know, I... There wasn't much else that I could accomplish in my career, and we had all the financial things of the house that we wanted and vacations and everything seemed to be where it was supposed to be. But I woke up one day and realized how miserable I really was. I had created a photography business that demanded my time 60 to 70 hours a week. And it was a machine that needed to keep being fed in a way that I could see the hamster wheel that I was on was not going to be a life worth living. And so, um, long story short, began to recognize how much people pleasing and trying to find my self worth in accomplishment had created this hamster wheel. And I began to recognize how much my communication was that of codependent communication. It was working to make everybody else happy, say whatever I needed to say to um, keep everybody happy, but everybody was miserable. You know, my husband was miserable. I was miserable. My kids were miserable. So I thought something's not working. And so I first worked to um, just really look at my own self and where I was lying, (laughs) where I was lying to myself about what I wanted, where I was lying to my husband about what I wanted. And I saw how dishonest I really was because I didn't know who I was. I didn't Uh, I really didn't know myself. I didn't know how to hear the voice of my heart and what it was inviting me to and set boundaries with clients and 
So I began to reinvent my whole life, which uh, brought Jeff and I to start having honest conversations. And he realized he wasn't really loving photography anymore. It was really more portraits, which was my thing. And um, so he left the business to move on to his next thing, which was in the world of design. And that left me to recreate the photography business. And it blew my mind what was possible when I started following my heart. I took a business that was running 60 to 70 hours a week using my time, um, having eight employees, and took it down to one employee working 24 hours a week and started making more money than I had been making before. And thought, wow, all because I just started getting honest with myself and being willing to get quiet and listen to that voice in my heart. And so I thought I was set for life. I loved what I did. I thought, I'll do this until I'm not able to do it anymore. And then my heart began to call me to the miraculous, beautiful outcome that was happening in my life. I, um, crying already, Will. <laughs> I, uh, in a prayer time one morning, I just said, God, you've taken the ashes of my life and you've created a beautiful outcome. And if there's any way I could stand with other couples, uh, individuals, business owners, to create the experience, the transition I've experienced in my life, I'd love to do that. And I mentioned to Jeff what my prayer had been that morning, and he said, beautiful outcome. That's important. And by the end of the day, he bought the domain name, and I said, what are you doing? Like, I'm a photographer. I love what I do. He goes, I think there's something to that. And within um, probably two years of that, I'd sold my company and start a beautiful outcome. So... What happened in your life? Um, what is the beautiful outcome that you're re referring to in your own life? So I believe that when God created us, he put the blueprint of our life fully alive in our heart. And the it's there step by step. And it's our uh, job to begin to tune in to that heart, to begin to discover um God's voice, to begin to discover what it looks like to hear that voice and find those steps and have the courage to follow them, even though sometimes it feels like you're going against everything you thought you knew in what those steps take you towards. But if you can do that, you begin to step into the fullness of who you are, step into your authentic version of yourself where you are worthy and you are valuable and you own um honesty. You you're able to hold a space for difficult conversations. And Will, can you remind me what the question was you asked? I'm not oh, sure, sure if I'm staying on track with what you ask. Yeah, you were referring to out of ashes, there, there was coming a beautiful outcome in your mm -hmm. own life. So, you know, just what, what was that outcome? What happened um, that was, you know, such a life changing thing for you? Yeah. So the easiest way I can answer that is I woke up in 2009 and realized, or sorry, 2011 and realized I was a machine. I was, I was dying inside. I was becoming a hard, cold, bitter woman because I was, as I worked to do everything for everybody else and abandon myself, I was becoming jaded. I was becoming resentful. I was becoming bitter. I was miserable, and I began to realize this gradually, but one morning I found myself at a funeral that I loved the person deeply, and there was no tears. 
And I knew I was becoming so detached from the human part of me that I needed to find a way to come alive. And so the beautiful outcome was that I became alive and I began to own myself and who I was and who God had created me to be and my value and worth. And it began to help me show up honestly in conversation. And Jeff and I began to have honest conversations that we never even knew were possible. And out of that honesty began to become a breathing, living relationship where we could have difference of thought and difference of opinion and respect each other more because of it. And we could make joint decisions without just going along with what we thought the other person wanted us to go along with. And I could own what I wanted in my business and my, and clients would be attracted to even more of who I was than I ever thought possible. And I felt found an aliveness that I never had known existed. And it was the ashes of our humanness when we invite truth and honesty and realness and wrestling with God in that, there's a beauty that comes out of the mess of being human in every arena of our life. So it sounds like it was um, learning to know your, to know who you were, who God created you better, and uh, being true to that, and then... Um, and it, you mentioned you, you kind of restructured your business to, to fit that model. And uh, that sounds like that was a pretty um, major turning point in your life from rather um, just um, working the, the machine that you had put into place. Um, and you felt like this was more authentic to who you were, I guess. Is, is that kind of the, the thing? Yeah, I think that we are we are human beings, mm-hmm. and I had become a human doing, hmm. and it was learning what a human being actually is. And a human being is meant is designed to become, to be a becoming, and in that becoming is the beautiful outcome. But when we choose to be a human doing, there's just death and exhaustion and emptiness. So in the old way, um, you you probably enjoyed photography, um, and um, was it more of just the the business aspect, um, you know, cranking it out and handling employees and all of that that felt like you were kind of um, in a sweatshop, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I loved photography, and I still love photography. I still do some. Um, It was my way, it was my motive. It was my come from. My motive was trying to become someone through what I did, rather than trying to become someone through who I am, who I'm choosing to be moment by moment. And I saw glimpses of that in my photography business. There were times where I had very meaningful conversations, and I could see the impact I was making on people's life. But it was still out of trying to heal the wounds of my past that told me I wasn't enough, that told me I wasn't valuable and worthy. And somehow I had let my business, my marriage, my parenting become the arenas that were supposed to help me find my value and worth. And they're just not able to do that. They're, they're meant to be the gymnasium where I become uh, more of who I am. 
not the gymnasium that somehow makes me valuable because of what I've done. So what um, brought about this change? Was there any kind of fundamental realization or anything that grew you in this way? Yes, it was actually a very um, interesting moment in my life that forever changed the course of my life. And it was in September uh, 2000. I keep confusing my years. It was September 2009 that all of this began. Um, 2011 is when I re- when it had taken root in me enough to make the transformation in my business. So 2009 is where the personal transformation began. And... Um, I had read the book Codependent No More. Um, we actually, Jeff was getting, Jeff was owning that he was really unhappy in the photography business. And it freaked me out because we were Jeffrey and Julia Woods. So how in the world was he going to become unhappy when it was finally getting where we wanted it to be? And so we hired a, a, a career coach for Jeff. And I sat in on the meetings. And after three minute meetings, the career coach looked at me and she said, okay, I think I'm done here you need to read Codependent No More. And I was like, wait, I hired you to help my husband. Why are you talking to me about what I need to do? And so I read Codependent No More, and it began to expose the codependency in me. And um, I, it really humbled me in a significant way. And after that, I read um, Stacy Eldridge's book, Captivating. And those two books really were just the, um, you know, began to break up the hardness of the soil and help me see the truth of where I was. I really woke up to the machine that I had created within my being um, to try and make my way through life. And so I had an all-out um, honesty match with God on in September 2009 where I just began to yell at him. <clears throat> I went out in my front yard and literally started yelling at him out loud and telling him I just, I didn't like his deal. Like I had given my life to him when I was young and in my mind had done everything he asked me to do. And yet my life was miserable and I didn't know where to turn because he didn't seem to be doing much for me. And I said, you know, I gave my life to you when you were young. Uh, You came to save me from the things that would destroy my life. Like, sex outside of marriage and drugs and drug addictions and alcohol addictions. And I've never done those things. So I have everything you came to offer, but it doesn't seem to be working. And in that moment, I heard God audibly speak in my heart like I'd never heard before. And he said, Julia, I came to save you from you. (laughs) And that took me to my knees. I realized that I was my own worst enemy. And that it was what I had decided was true about myself, about other people, and about life that had created this misery. And so I said, okay, God, what I get, what I hear you saying is that I've got it quite off. I'm quite off in how I think this thing works. And you'd like to show me a new way. And I want you to show me a new way. But in order for you to show me a new way, I need to know your voice because I don't know how to hear your voice. And so he said, okay, ask me to be the first thing on your mind when you wake up tomorrow morning. And I said, okay. And so I woke up the next morning and I said, okay, God, I see you. I hear you. You're there. You're on my mind. So what next? And he said, ask me how I want to spend time with you. And that shocked me because I thought God wanted um, me to spend time with him, but I didn't know he wanted to spend time with me. That was quite an epiphany for me that morning. 
And so I said, okay, God, how do you want to spend time with me? And I saw myself sitting outside um, writing. And in essence, in my heart, I knew he was asking me to write sentences of praise or gratitude to him. And I got really mad. And I said, God, why are you so arrogant? Why do you need me to tell you how great you are? Can you not see what a mess my life is in? Um, you know, and I was thinking he was quite egotistical. And, but I remembered my prayer the day before and that I had given him full reign if he would teach me how to know his voice. And so I said, okay, I don't know why you're asking me to do this, but I'm going to trust it. And so I went outside and I wrote sentences of praise. And the next morning, same thing. God, how do you want to spend time with me? And same thing. And within about three or four weeks of doing this, I began to notice my heart was shifting. I started to feel more alive. I felt a hardness going away. And that began to be a journey of intimacy with God that I had never known before. He mornings when I would wake up and, you know, just ask him, God, how do you want to spend time with me? And He'd say, talk to him when I was in the shower, and other times, talk to him on the way to work, and other times, take a walk. And I began to find this God that I had thought I had served my whole life, but um, I found a God who was very real and very intimate and knew me intimately. And while I knew that up here my whole life, <clears throat> it began to become real. It began to become um, something I'd never experienced before. And so step by step in communicating with him and receiving uh, more of who he was and who he saw me to be, like I started seeing myself through his eyes, um, it began to change. And I was no longer trying to earn my value and worth. I was receiving my value and worth and living out of that. So um, it sounds like your relationship with God is real kind of intuitive, you know, um, what, um, I guess one question I have is, um, like, so I'm a, a Christian and, uh, I, um, so there's a way, you know, I have a relationship with God. Um, but, um, I'm just wondering what gives you, um, confidence, um, because as a, as a Christian, I um, I believe there there's a lot of reasons for belief. Like our Christ, our um, faith is rooted in historical, you know, real things that happen, and and then there there has been times where there's been an experience, like a spiritual experience. I mainly think of my conversion experience that it just you know seemed like there was an encounter uh, with God and being. It was communicated to me that I was forgiven, and you know I had there was a change, I had new desires, and, and so forth. But there's still sometimes, um, I guess, because I talk with a lot of people who are unbelievers, I talk with atheists and so forth, and I hear the arguments, and I listen to debates and things like that. Um, there's times where I just um, wonder, how do I, um, you know, is there? relating to God is different than relating to like you are a person that you see and that your senses um, are, you know, involved with. Um, so is there anything that particularly gives you confidence that this isn't just a system that's going on in your, your head, um, that this is a real interaction with God? 
um, that's the, um, that might, um, I don't know, might hinder me a little bit when, when I think of just a real, I don't know, intuitive type of way of relating with God, like what you're referring to, which sounds really neat. But do you have any thoughts about confidence? <laughs> yes, I actually, it was interesting that you said that relating with God is very different than relating with me or anyone else. And I actually find the opposite to be true. I actually find that God is where I learn to be with myself and learn to be with others. Um, because the confidence comes in the wrestling. Like, what I've come to know since 2009 is that I know nothing. And the more I accept that I know nothing, and it is a wrestling day by day of walking into what I don't know I don't know and discovering and showing up present in each moment, um, it's really a powerful experience of the confidence that I can show up in this moment with what I have and trust that in that moment there is learning and growing available for me. And if I'm willing to keep surrendering to the learning and growing, life will expose itself. And, and I really look at life from a place of what did I, what choices did I make? What are the things that I said? What are the things that I do, did? What about that worked to produce life? What about that didn't work to produce life? What about what is wanted and needed as I move forward with my, with a commitment to create life in my relationship with God, in my relationship with my husband, in my relationship with my children, in relationship with colleagues? It's, it's a continual becoming. And the confidence grows out of the gift of learning to be present in the moment because the miracles happen in the moment of being present. And there's nothing quite like it. Like it's, it is truly a beautiful outcome when you just show up. And from a biblical representation, the best way I know how to describe it is when I show up with my two loaves or my two fish and my five loaves, what God does in the moment blows my mind. And when I think about that little boy in the crowd where there was 5,000 people and they didn't know how they were going to feed somebody and this little boy shows up and says, well, I have two fish and five loaves, right? It's one, very humbling to think, well, that's kind of silly to offer that when you see people, 5,000 people. And I make up that that little boy, you know, had given been given a sack of that early in that morning and he'd run through the creek and dropped it in the water and the bread was soggy and it was broken in pieces and it was crumbling and, you know, he hands it to God and says, here, I know your power. I know your ability. And I'm, I trust that there, you are, based on who you are, my willingness to offer who I am and what I have, you do the rest. And that's the opportunity. That's the communication that when I can show up neutral, when I can show up not needing to prove myself or make myself look good or save my reputation, when I can show up just with the little I have, and be present with that other human being and what they have, what comes out of that is beyond anything I had been ever used to experiencing. And that's the gift of a marriage, is a marriage is designed to be two people showing up with what they have, not needing to be right, not needing to make the other wrong, just being fully present and vulnerable and honest. It's, it's a miracle what two people united together like that can, can create. <laughs> 
You know, you, you've mentioned worth um, mm. now and then. Um, and, like, so from a, um, you know, a, a Christian viewpoint, in which is kind of like the structure of my spiritual life and so forth, um, there's grounding for worth and that, uh, that Jesus died for my sins and have forget, has forgiven me and brought me into his kingdom. And now, so there's... Um, so there's no reason for guilt, so to speak, or um, like not being enough because I'm not enough, but he has given himself for me. So therefore I'm received and, you know, who can, you know, point their finger at me and and say anything, you know, about me not being enough when God has done that for me. Um, is for for experiencing your worth... Do you have um, some kind of a grounding like that, or does it come from an experience um, where you're feeling it emotionally, um, or is that, you know, does that come through like um, meditating on like the, the Christian story, or does that come from just experiencing God and somehow Him spiritually communicating to you that you're you're loved and worthy um, just like you are, or how? How does it come to you where it's not just an intellectual thing, but it's like something that you feel and enjoy your worth? Yeah, I think that um, there was a major shift for me in belief. Um, I believe that we are worthy and valuable the moment we become alive. Like the decision's done. They're the... There is nothing to argue about. The very fact that you have life, you're worthy and valuable, right? God decided that. I believe in creation. I believe that God is the one that breathes life into us. So I believe the moment he breathed life, he said, you're worthy. Now, whether we decide to find um, his view of us and whether we decide to receive the gifts that he's given us to enter into uh, eternal work with him on this earth, that's up to each person. But we have been given value. We are valuable and worthy. The, the case is closed. There is nothing else to argue about. The very fact that we're alive, we're valuable and worthy. But our core beliefs are developed between conception and two. So based on how our parents received the news that we were alive, based on what happened throughout the pregnancy, based on what happened throughout delivery, based on what happened in those first few years of our development, our core beliefs about our value and worth are felt beliefs. They're not something that someone tells you you're valuable and worthy. Oh, okay, so now I'm valuable and worthy. No, it's a felt belief based on how other people interact with us, based on how we experience whether there's enough for us in this world. So these core beliefs, the beliefs that I believe about who I am, about who other people are, and about what how life works, who God is, are developed between conception and two. So my, I believe that my responsibility as an adult begins to become about investigating my beliefs because we have freedom to choose whatever beliefs we want to believe. What we believe is totally up to us. And what we believe produces what we think, which produces what we feel, which produces what we do. 
So often people don't like what they're doing and they don't like how I'm fe- how they're feeling. I didn't like what I was, I loved doing photography, but I didn't like the way I was doing it. And I didn't like the way I felt about it. I felt enslaved to it. I felt, um, yeah, that's the best way to describe it. I felt enslaved to it. So what God knew is that he needed to get back to the, the core. He needed to come back to the core and help me reestablish my beliefs about who I am and who others are and who he is. And if when he began to realign my beliefs through communication with him, through understanding the Bible in ways I'd never understood my whole life, all of a sudden my core beliefs began to change. And as my core beliefs changed and I saw who God said I was, that it wasn't that I had to earn anything. He settled the deal the moment he gave me life. All of a sudden I began to think different. I began to feel different. I began to do different. Okay. Um, so you mentioned like we can choose our beliefs and I can kind of make sense of that somewhat, not so much in the, in the sense of, well, reality doesn't matter. We just choose whatever we like. We create our own reality. Um, but rather that we might not believing, be believing correctly. And we need to kind of align our beliefs more to what reality really is. Um, so like uh, between conception and two, um, that's how we're, we're shaped. And it's like a felt type of thing. Um, so, and I guess then we are, um, kind of like working our way through that, trying to, um, because whatever we received is maybe not aligned with reality and that's why we have to kind of do that work on our beliefs. Um, you mentioned understanding the Bible in a new way. Or what helped you um, to understand the Bible? And um, like, what is in what new way or what understanding have you gained from it? Well, so when what I you know when I when we talk about beliefs, it's as simple as people into, you know, if people will slow down and begin to think about what they tell themselves and what they do, I didn't realize that I had a belief that I was not worthy of love. Now, if you look at between conception and two in my life, you'll understand why I believed that, right? Um, My parents described that I was the worst news they could have received that I was alive. So I believed I wasn't valuable. I wasn't worthy. Um, I didn't believe that I would truly ever experience love. Um, and I didn't believe there was enough in the world for me. So out of these beliefs, I did everything, right? So if I don't believe I'm valuable and worthy, if I don't believe there's enough for me, if I don't believe love really is available for me, then I'm going to tend to listen to what everybody else outside of me has to say and believe that they know what I don't. So Every day we go through life listening based on what we believe. And so when I grew up in church listening and growing up, somewhere I believed that it was my job every day to read the Bible. And somehow I believed I was supposed to read an entire chapter from start to finish and just read it and try and make sense of it with my logical brain. What God began to invite me into was taking the shoulds off. There were no shoulds. His word was living word and living truth. 
And so he began to invite me just to live in the freedom of what my heart was telling me. And so a certain day I would start reading. And, um, you know, in the beginning, I just kind of flipped open, like, God, what book do you want me to read today? And I'd start asking him and I'd feel him lead me to a book. And I'd be like, okay, I, that's weird, but okay, I'll just start in that book. And then I'd start reading. And as soon as I got to a scripture, which usually was maybe even the first scripture, but of one or two scriptures in, my God, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand what you mean by that scripture. And so I'd start asking God questions like, God, what do you mean by that? Like, why do you say that? And sometimes he'd invite me to look at several different translations and see it from different perspectives of maybe what I was making up those words meant weren't what he was saying. And other days it would be like, you know, he'd like, just, just watch. And so I'd wrestle with what I call wrestling with God, where I'd say, okay, God, I'm asking you to show me what you mean by that scripture. And I'd go through my day and I'd go through my um, sometimes days and weeks. And all of a sudden I'd be in the middle of a conversation or I'd be, I see something in nature or whatever. And that scripture would come back to me. And it was like, oh my goodness, God, you're teaching me what you mean by that in my life in this moment. It doesn't mean that's all he means. It means in this moment, he's bringing me that scripture to life to me for this purpose in this time. And that was a total different experience than what I had learned growing up that I'm just supposed to read the Bible and hopefully it's going to take root. This all of a sudden was seeing that out of God's calling me valuable and worthy, he literally calls me valuable and worthy and wants me to wrestle with him and wants to teach me and wants to show up in each moment with me and help me see what I can't see and understand what I can't understand. You know, you... Um you, it seems like you achieve some. You're an entrepreneur. You've achieved so much, um, but then listening to you, it sounds like you don't even have a daily schedule. <laughs> um, so, um, so do you? I mean, it sounds like your days uh, just kind of go pretty, you know, flexible and intuitive and so forth. It's it's actually the um, it's actually the renewing of my mind that I continually work on because by nature, out of my childhood woundings, I'm a very, I feel safe in structure. <laughs> so I actually need to work really hard to interrupt my comfort zone of schedule. If you looked at my schedule, you'd see, wow, she is almost scheduled every minute of her day. <laughs> um, I love, you know, with my coaching business, I, on my coaching days, it is, coaching calls one after the other. There are no, you know, there's 15 minute breaks between just in case I go over with a call or I might need to go to the bathroom. Um, but I set my photography business up the same way. I, I get a clear about how much business I want. I set, get my schedule very intentional and I figure out how to market to attract, to fill every one of those slots. Um, and so I'm by nature extremely structured. And so what God invites me into is letting, holding my life a little more loosely, giving myself freedom and space. So my mornings, I learned to ask God to wake me up when it was time to wake up because by nature, I would set my alarm at 6 a.m., you know? And so I began to learn intuitively that actually when I set my alarm, I wake up in a, like a 
a negative place. Like it's a jarring awake and like, oh, I don't want that alarm to go off yet, you know? So I began to say, God, will you wake me up when you want to spend time with me? And I began to find my body, not God waking me up 30 minutes before my alarm was going to go off. And, you know, so it's this natural progression of just giving space, giving, um, inviting God into every minute of my day. And the way God talks to me, like I can be in the middle of a coaching call and God reminds me of a scripture that he was wanting to talk to me about. Like, it's this continual invitation of him being in my space um, in every moment. If I'm doing the dishes, getting groceries, making um, a dinner, talking to a client, talking to you, um, God's always with us in every minute. So it so it's not necessarily um, that you're scheduling unscheduled time. It's you have a schedule and you're just um, allowing yourself to not be a slave to it. Is that kind of what's going on? Yes. Yes. That is the biggest thing. I moved from being a slave to a child of the king. Okay. Um, When it comes to believing what you really believe, but maybe it seems like your heart doesn't believe, um, is there a procedure for that? Or is there um, a way to go about that? Like, you know, for example... Um, believing that you are worthy and yet somehow your actions are showing that you maybe don't really believe that. Well, is there a method to working on our beliefs? Yeah, and it's it's really powerful, Will. I actually was just doing some research the other day and found that studies, there was a study done, um, I need to find the specific date and who did the study, but there was a study done that actually 86%, let me go the opposite direction, only 14% of humans in this study, which was a very well-versed study, only 14% of those people in that study actually believe they're worthy of love. So 86% of people don't believe they're worthy of love, according to that study. So this is a very common belief that I work with people in day to day through coaching because it is a renewing of your mind and it doesn't matter what your faith is. I mean, you and I have the commonality of the Christian faith, but I work with people of all different faiths, people that that since they have no faith, um, but it's still a process of renewing your mind and observing yourself and looking at what you know, whatever you're doing, whatever you're feeling, it's coming out of your believing. So if you'll simply slow down and notice what you're doing and what it is that you're feeling and think back to what are the thoughts I was just telling myself? What was the thoughts I was just thinking? Well, where'd those thoughts come from? What what, what am I believing if I'm thinking those thoughts, right? So you got to slow the process down. What I describe it as is a four-car train. We've got the engine, that's our beliefs. Our beliefs are the engine that drive drive everywhere we're going to go. Everything we're going to do, everything we're going to achieve comes out of that, that engine car. Behind that is the thinking car. Behind that is the feeling car. Behind that is the doing car, which is the caboose. And most people focus on the caboose. If I could just do something different, then my life would be different. But what I work to do is help people learn how to get to the engine which is a process of learning how to investigate within yourself. Investigate. Interesting. Okay, I just spoke very, you know, 
like for example, in marriage, the way I help couples do this in marriage, I have them get clear about um, what is it, what is the marriage they want? I call that their heaven. And what is the marriage they have they don't want? I call that their hell, right? They've got a heaven and they got a hell. Now, moment by moment, they're going to choose the heaven or they're going to choose the hell. And it's not a problem if they choose the hell. It's actually the best learning moment they can experience. If they'll realize, wow, I want to learn to be patient and respect my spouse. And I just went off on them. Okay, great. No problem. Let's look at that. All right. So if you keep doing that, that's going to take you more to the hell that you currently have. But if you want to slow it down and think about what were you feeling that brought you to respond that way to them? What were you thinking that brought you to respond that way to them? And what were you believing about yourself, about them, about others? And when you do that, it begins to expose your judgments about yourself, your judgments about them. It begins to expose how you're seeing yourself. Um, often, you know, the hell is based in what I call the drama triangle. So there's a drama triangle and there's a healthy triangle. The drama triangle is where we're going to experience drama relationships or the hell in our marriage. The healthy triangle is where we're going to experience the heaven and the healthy relationships we long for. So the drama triangle comes out of seeing myself as small or seeing you as small. And if I can recognize where I'm seeing myself as small or seeing you as small and instead move to ownership of owning my value and worth, owning your value and worth, we now can come from a different place. And the more I begin to shift in that moment, the moment I went off on my spouse and, and investigate it and notice those things and own that. And I may say to my husband, I may say, you know, will you forgive me for going off on you? What I recognize is in that moment, I was feeling like I wasn't worthy. I was feeling like you were upset with me. You didn't love me. And so I went to feeling small and I moved to try and make you feel small by lashing out at you. Will you forgive me? That's not who I want to be. That's not how I want to be with you. What I own is that I am valuable and worthy. You are valuable and worthy. Can we have a conversation about what you were actually thinking when you said what you said? What did that mean? This is what I thought it meant. Is that what you meant? And we can begin to become open and we begin to become honest and discover our humanness together. And we become two people helping each other grow our beliefs in our own value and worth and in our value to each other. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. It reminds me a little bit of, um, well, a book I've recently read um, called The Leadership uh, De- Leadership and Deception, Getting Out of the Box. And there's a sister book that goes with it called The Anatomy of Peace. And it's a real nuanced look of, at the heart of what's going on when um, you're seeing somebody not as a human being. And, um, and it also reminds me a little bit of, like people sometimes refer to mindfulness, like uh, instead of being just kind of wrapped up and one with one's thoughts, it's kind of being a little bit more of an observer. And it sounds like um, that's what you're talking about in, in some ways, just observing. Yes, yes becoming owning myself, owning the choices I'm making, owning the things I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we each are responsible for who we are in life moment by moment. 
And when I become a human doing, I avoid responsibility and I become an existence of what's happening around me, what's happening to me. And becoming a human being, I'm focused on what's coming from me and, the, and how it's impacting what's around me. Yeah. So it's a core shift from a human being to a human doing. Um, you know, what's your prayer life like? Is it just really as you go along or do you have set times or, or do you have, I'll just broaden that question a little bit. Do you have any routines that you enjoy that are meaningful to you and that are helpful to you? Like mm-hmm. spiritual routines or just uh, personal type of routines to help you as a person or. Yeah, what started in 2009 continues. Um, You know, I work to uh, continue to stay in the heart where God is the first thing on my mind when I wake up in the morning. And I start the morning with asking him how he wants to spend time with me. And so it's a beautiful, you know, God is so intimate. He doesn't make any snowflake the same. He doesn't. There's not a formula of how he wants to spend time with each of us because he knows us each intimately different. He knows that we are unique and what we love and what we, what brings our heart alive. So he knows those things about us. And so, um, where I get to wrestle is trying to turn it into a formula and keep inviting my heart into accepting that God just wants to be with me. He just wants to talk to me. And it's a continual wrestling of wanting to go to the rules of, okay, this is what it means to pray. This is what it means to spend time with God. And God's like, I didn't say that. You're deciding that. And if you want to go back into the, you know, hamster wheel, go right ahead. But I'd like to keep it more unique with you if you'd like. And so I would, I would say that what I experience is walking in seasons with God of, um, I'm walking into a new season of how I'm praying and recognizing um, you know, when you show up present moment by moment, it's really uncomfortable because what's comfortable for humans is for us to decide we've got it right, for us to decide we've got it figured out and we know how to do this. And then it becomes comfortable. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's working, you know, but it's really not. It's just self-deception. And so other than God, how do you want to spend time with me? Um, it's very fluid, but I have found what I call soul care. And I believe that God invites us to care for our soul. Just like if you go to the nursery and purchase a plant, you'll see that every plant comes with ideal growth instructions. If you want to opt, you want the optimum growth out of this plant, you need to have it in full sun, well-drained soil, and water it, you know, regularly. And I believe that God put that in each of us, our optimum growth instructions. And it's up to each of us to discover that. I find that there are three or four specific legs or three or four specific parts of my ideal optimum growth schedule that I have discovered, and that is hiking, um, being in nature with God, um, pr- talking with Him regularly every day, um, reading, consistently growing my mind and my understanding of what might be true, and um Let's see, hiking, praying, reading, and doing something out of the norm. 
whether that be like right now, I'm doing the next phase in my, um, I love what one psychologist said. I don't, I'm not thinking, I don't remember his name at the moment, but he said, it takes a lifetime to heal from our childhood. And so I am working, I'm committed to that for the rest of my life. I'm committed to um, continue to own the choices I'm making out of what was put upon me when I was young. And so I've just entered into a new phase where I really felt like EMDR was something that God was inviting me to explore. And so whether it's coaching, whether it's something, you know, a different form of approach, uh, learning a lot about quantum physics. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a very fun. I mean, when God said, um, those that have, I'm not, I'm not going to quote it properly, but, um, those that have faith like a child will inherit the kingdom of God. My experience is that God wants us to be as curious as a five-year-old every single day. And when I can embrace that five-year-old curiosity and not not sit back in my casual cavalier experience of what I think I know, but instead focus every day on discovering what I don't know I don't know and holding what I think I know in an open hand, saying, it's only what I think I know based on what I currently know, right? Like, I get to keep discovering. Life is the most exciting and most fulfilling when I can live in that five-year-old curiosity. It's, it's uncomfortable, but it's beautifully uncomfortable because every day is an adventure, and it's an exciting adventure. You mentioned E-N-D-R? And E-M-D-R. E-M-D-R. It's, um, mm-hmm. Electronic muscle. Uh, it's basically that our, our muscles store memories. Memories are stored in our muscles, and that trauma impacts what's stored in there is what's impacting our beliefs. And so there is ways of moving that up and out of your tissues. I've done the majority of the work I've done in, since 2009 is moving it out of my thinking, really taking responsibility for my thinking and my believing. And at this point, now I'm moving more into my body of what's still trapped in my body that is wanting to come out and be let go of. And it sounds like you enjoy reading and it quantum physics. So it, uh, that's like, um, do you enjoy just all kinds of different topics? Um, or what kind of books um, have, um, are there any particular books that have really impacted your life that are, you know, really made a difference? Well, you mentioned a couple already, but. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, a lot of books. Uh, last year, the biggest book, the biggest influence was uh, called um, The Cry of the Soul. Um, let me think of who that's by. Um, not remembering, but I can let you know if you want to know. Uh, another book that was very impactful for me was The Soul of Shame, and that's by Kurt Thompson. And 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. I really enjoy favorite. Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I love books that make that bring me to think. I love books that help me to become. That's really what I'm focusing on is becoming. And um, right now, Jeff and I are reading a lot of financial books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, (laughs) doing a lot of understanding financially, because for years, the trauma of our past showed up in our finances. 
Um, we both came from an understanding. I believed, based on my relationship, is that men um, men wanted to hurt me, and he believed that women wanted to control him. Now, those are not beliefs that most people walk around realizing they believe. That's taken work for us to discover, based on what our childhood experiences were, what we believed. And so that mostly showed up in our finances, in that we were trying to control one another in our finances. And so as we've journeyed through this showing up one conversation at a time and getting off of the drama triangle and onto the healthy triangle, we're discovering that we actually are really powerful partners together when it comes to financially producing the financial results in our life that we want to. And so once we've gotten off, you know, gotten on to believing that we are more powerful together than apart when it comes to finances and nobody's the bad guy. Um, you know, Jeff thought that I was the bad guy because I was passionate about saving and I thought he was the bad guy because he was passionate about spending. Um, we began to develop a team. And so we're in a opportunity right now where we're just discovering a lot about what else is possible that we didn't know was possible with our finances and not um, we easily went to trusting everybody else, going to the professionals, having the financial advisor tell us what we're supposed to do, having the tax accountant tell us what we're supposed to do. And now we're taking on responsibility and saying, wait a minute, we're kind of living in blind trust with them, right? We're just trusting their education and what they know. But have we really taken the time to educate ourselves to be able to ask good questions and to be able to really discover what we don't know we don't know and what they might not even know that we want to know? And so I, I don't think there's one genre of reading. I don't tend to read a lot of fiction. I tend to read a lot of nonfiction. Um, but I think I have that right, right? I love books that help me grow. I don't like, I don't like to read uh, fantasies. Uh, it's not my favorite. But, um, yeah. Yeah. How do you like to connect with people? Is it more one-on-one? -on -one, or do you like to connect in a group? Are you involved with... A a church community or some kind of community where you interact in these with people or just uh, what's the best way for you to really connect with others? I, by nature, I'm a one-on-one -on -one connector. Um, mm -hmm. I love individual deeper connection. So um, what I had believed about groups was it was much harder to be real and to be um, authentic. I'm learning that's not true, that I can be just as real and authentic in a group as I can individually. Um, Jeff and I are finding ourselves really needing that group right now. Uh, living in California, we've been really closed down for almost a year. Um, I think over the course of the year, the church that we were starting to attend before things closed down, um, I think it's been open like three weeks total for people to come and gather at the church in this whole past past year. So um, we love to do have people over. Um, we have um, we're really working to cultivate friendships that are people who can tell us tell us what they see, be honest with us, give us honest feedback. Um, and so Jeff has done a great job of cultivating a group of guys that he has that with. I'm working to cultivate that with a group of women. Uh, so it's a becoming. It's a getting out of our own way and realizing what our hearts really want and need and finding a way to cultivate that. Yeah. Um, 
I guess one just thought that I'd like to ask you about is um, in my circles, for example, my church community, um, we are pretty like um, a specific doctrine teaching focused and pretty um, like it sounds like you and some other people I, I talk with are really kind of more, I don't know if intuitive is the right word, but more kind of open um, to not see things like through a specific lens of um, a, a tradition, you know, a religious tradition. And um, I'm, and I think people who do, who, who are, you know, really doctrinally focused or like, like that, I'm not saying that they're not having spiritual experiences and a close, intimate relationship with God, you know, the very well maybe. But um, you have any thoughts about that, like um, interacting with people who see things differently, or do you have any, um, or with um, just your own kind of way of seeing things? Um, um, sounds like maybe you see more of a big picture type of uh, thing as far as God creating all people and you know their worth from uh, from their the time they were born and, and things. But your um, I guess your personality seems to be like more open. Like that's the word um, um, Jordan Peterson sometimes refers to. Like some personalities they're more open. Some are more uh, closed or conservative. And um, but do you have any thoughts about interacting with? Um, what do you have any thoughts about any of that? <laughs> I know that's kind of broad. But <laughs> um, you know, I appreciate your expression of me as open. Uh, that's been a part, that's been a commitment I've had to becoming because I would have described myself as very legalistic. That was my background, and that's how I grew up. And I personally found death in it for myself. Not because there is death in it for everyone. It's because the way I showed up to it. Based on my believing about myself, others, and life, I um, I can very much be a crusader and be like, oh, if women are supposed to wear dresses, then by gosh, I need to tell the entire world that you are wrong if you're not wearing dresses. You know, um, so I've worked hard to to give um, to open my heart to say, God, really, you know, I don't know. And most of what I experience as doctrine in church is what man has made up about what God has said. And so for myself, I believe the one thing I've committed to believe for the rest of my life without question is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that is the core belief that I will stick to forever. <laughs> and outside of that, I'm like, God... I think that if this produces love, is if, if this produces connection, if it produces life, you said you will know them by their fruits. And I often experience that doctrine, the fruit is dead. And it's not producing life in my experience. And so, you know, much of what I clung to as a child and as a young adult and thought, well, this is the only way, I, I look back and I think, wow. I think differently, right? I think Jesus would be hanging out in bars today. I think Jesus would be hanging out on the streets with people, loving them, not judging them. Um, 
And so that's my, that's where I work to be open with doctrine is where do I use it to, to grow my self-righteousness. That's what I use doctrine for. I use doctrine to grow my self-righteousness. And I was, um, one of the things I began to realize is God helped me to see I was the Pharisees. I would have killed him. And that's what I get to keep looking at in my life every day. Where am I being a Pharisee? Where am I blinded to what God is and who he is right in front of me? And because I've decided it doesn't fit the mold of who I think and what I think it's supposed to look like, then I'm completely missing that it's God right in front of me. And so that's my experience on doctrine and all of that. Sure. (laughs) But it sounds like you have high regard for the Bible. Um, I mean, that's where you're getting your information about what Jesus said and who he is and what you what he's done and so forth. Um, well, I don't know. Is there anything else that you want to bring up before we, uh, you know, wrap up? Yeah, I just think, obviously, I'm passionate about growing marriages, helping couples grow communication, healthy communication, getting off the drama triangle, onto the healthy triangle. It doesn't matter where their faith is. It doesn't matter if they have a faith. The reality is they have a marriage and they're communicating every day in their marriage. And in their marriage, they long for depth of connection. They long to experience love in a way that no, there's no other arena like a marriage to experience love. And so a lot of what I've communicated about how to show up present in the moment to each conversation. Um, I believe that a strong marriage, a strong family is the backbone of our country. And if I can help a couple learn how to communicate through anything and grow through that communication, they'll, they'll just keep getting stronger and stronger. My visual for a marriage is like an oak tree. I believe every marriage is designed to be an oak tree that gets stronger and stronger every year. And those branches of that oak tree become the recipe that their children and their grandchildren find love and find what safety and security and community is all about. And so that's my passion because I believe if I can help couples create healthy communication, they can become that and we can grow. We can, I would love to switch the dynamic. The divorce rate is increasing. The success of marriages is decreasing. I really would love to turn that around and um, move it in the other direction where healthy marriages are increasing and the divorce rate is decreasing because people know how to communicate in healthy ways and grow in respect and love with one another. How can people find out more about what you have to offer? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram under beautiful, um, the underscore outcome, um, or they can go to my website, beautifuloutcome.com and connect with me. Instagram is probably the best way to connect with me. They also can email me at hello at beautifuloutcome.com. Okay. Well, thanks, Julia. It's been really good, and I'm really happy for what you're doing and what you're becoming. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Will. I appreciate you inviting me. Mm -hmm.